Hello and welcome back to The Film Degree. It has been way, 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 way too long since I was able to do a proper episode because school has just been absolute shit. (laughs) I have really just been trying not to completely drown this entire semester, not just, well, really not just because of school, just because life is kind of shit. Um, Not kind of, it is. (laughs) And I have just been completely burnt out from everything going on. Really, kind of like this this whole two years, but really these past few months have been rough. They've just been really, really rough. And I've just been so emotionally and intellectually exhausted that I have not had the energy or time to really put together an episode, but I just finished classes for this semester tonight, actually, as I'm recording this. So I'm getting back into it because I love to do this. But before we get into this episode, I really, really need to discuss something. Um, A few episodes ago, I, well, really, I think on the Instagram, it was the first time I announced it, which if you're not following the Instagram, please follow it. It is um, at film.degree. Please follow it. Thank you. Anyway, um, I announced that I was going to do like a 20th anniversary Harry Potter episode, but then, you know, that episode never came out because um, I just didn't get to it by the time the anniversary happened. And then on the last episode, I was like, it's coming, it's coming. I promise. I promise it's coming. Blah, blah, blah. Like I sounded like Christina Aguilera in that one video where she's like the album's coming it's coming I promise and it's like four years later so um I have decided to officially cancel that episode actually um for starters after watching the Sorcerer's Stone which I watched a couple weeks ago like right when I announced I was going to do the episode I just realized I have nothing really to say about it um I was watching, I was like, I have no idea what to even talk about. So I was planning on coming up with something and talking about like, um, just my thoughts on my childhood with it. It was a very big part of my childhood. I remember everything that, um, like I remember when I watched it for the first time, I was making, um, Cinderella Shrinky Dinks in my oven and my family was watching it in our basement. And I remember it very vividly. And like, that's kind of just all I was going to talk about. But then, you know, fuck J.K. Rowling. Like, I don't, I am a J.K. Rowling anti. Like, um, as I'm recording this, like the other day, I think it was like Monday or something. She made more comments about trans women. And like, she just continues to use her platform to attack trans women. And I just will never support her again. Like, I find her to be disgusting to continue to lead this angry mob against trans women in the name of, like, false feminism. And I just need to say, because, like, this needs to be said, that, like, the world is going through a pandemic, obviously. We've been doing it for, like, two years. But America has been going through an epidemic of trans women murders and Trans women are being killed at an insanely alarming and disgusting rate. Like any rate is alarming and disgusting, but 
Like, it's been reported that in 2021, like, this has been the deadliest year on record for trans women. And I don't really, I don't really find it productive to get into, like, the numbers and the amounts of women who've been killed. But, like, because we'll never know the true number because, you know, a lot of times they're completely disregarded by police because they're either trans obviously or they've been forced into sex work to survive and they're disregarded for that reason or they're just misgendered so um we we don't know we don't know the numbers accurately but it is so extremely high and to have jk rowling label continuously label these women as men and as rapists and as predators and say they face no oppression just makes me like sick to my stomach and this podcast does not stand for that and i will always stand with these women because this is what well because they're people but this is this is my community and jk rowling is actively attacking it and while And she's doing it while she hides away in her mansion and behind her billion dollars as she cries that she's the most oppressed person in the world. And fuck her. Like, I don't need to give her any more airtime. I don't need to give her any more money. I I want nothing to do with her. So I will not be doing that episode. Um, And all I have to say really is... um, just keep the women that we've lost to hatred and violence in your thoughts and educate yourself on what's going on. The information is readily available. We just aren't hearing about it because people don't care. And we need to stand up for these women, especially trans women of color, because they're the ones who are targeted the most. And yeah, that's my piece on that. There will be no Harry Potter episode. Please support trans women. And now we'll get back to the podcast. I do actually have some good uh, or like good or at least cool news. I'll say cool news. The other day, which actually it's not even like the other day anymore. It is like, Jesus, like two weeks ago by now. Anyway, I got this email that said that our little podcast here was number 201 most popular podcast in America in the film history category. And, you know, like, was the email legit? I have no idea. Do I care? No, because I think it's cool. I've only published seven episodes before this, so I just think it's cool. It's, you know, like, this podcast is really small still, obviously, but I'm, like, actively trying to put myself out there. And that can be really nerve-wracking and scary and, um kind of weird at times, but I'm trying it. So I want to thank everybody for listening, firstly. And secondly, if you could please, 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 please write a review, that would mean a lot to me. Well, unless <laughs> unless you hate the podcast, then keep your filthy fucking mouth shut. I don't want to hear it. I don't want any criticism. Only nice things. Thank you. <laughs> But yeah, please, please write a nice little comment about me in there. Thank you. It helps my ego. It's true. It's true. (laughs) Anyway, it is officially Christmas season. So 
Let's get horny and sulk through the streets of New York City because today we are talking about the absolute Christmas classic, Eyes Wide Shut. Now, if you don't know, Eyes Wide Shut is Stanley Kubrick's controversial final film starring then-married Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise, and the production was an insane one, and I kind of just want to jump right into it. My sources for the information is a Vanity Fair article written by Amy Nicholson in 2014, an American cinematographer article written by Stephen Pizzello, and my number one girl, my best friend, my soulmate, Wikipedia. (laughs) And I just need to say, I have another thing I need to say. Wikipedia has been asking for money again, and I think we should give it, we should start forking over some cash to Wikipedia because Wikipedia is the greatest thing to ever happen to this society. I have not met a single person who has not looked at Wikipedia. We need Wikipedia. And if it is overrun with apps or ads, I will literally, I'll kill myself. You heard it here first. I'll kill myself. I need Wikipedia. And (laughs) am I a hypocrite? Because I've never given any money, even when they're asking for like 99 cents. We're not going to talk about that, but we need to start giving money to Wikipedia. They recently just, they hiked up their little asking fee, their little begging for money fee. It's like $2.75. And you know what? I think I'm going to do it. Because without Wikipedia, I would not have this podcast. (laughs) It is the greatest resource, like since the Rosetta Stone. It is the modern Rosetta Stone. Thank you, Wikipedia. I don't even know who made Wikipedia, but they need their ass ate. For real. Thank you, Wikipedia. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Before I get into the insane production, I do want to go over the plot like in detail for anyone who has not seen this movie yet. And if you've not seen this movie, you should go see it. But this is your warning now. I... Starting now, I'll go into full spoiler territory. This is the kind of movie that it's like impossible to talk about without talking about spoilers or what's going on. So I really recommend everyone watch it. It's currently available on HBO Max. So, you know, do yourself a favor and watch it. And, you know, it is the perfect Christmas movie. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Okay. So the film follows a man named Dr. Bill Harford, played by Tom Cruise, who at the time was like the height of his movie star career. He was fresh off of doing movies like A Few Good Men, Interview with a Vampire, Mission Impossible, the first one, and Jerry Maguire. And his wife, Alice Harford, was portrayed by Cruise's then real life wife, Nicole Kidman. And she herself was gaining the title of movie star um, I don't think like, I don't know. I feel like after this movie is when she really, really, really became a huge movie star. Uh, she just did at this time, Batman Forever, To Die For, and Practical Magic. That's not to say she wasn't like a star, but like she wasn't as big as Tom Cruise. But Tom Cruise was acting, I think, longer than her. Oh my God. I don't even know. Don't quote me on that. I might have just made all of that shit up. I don't even know. Um <laughs> So they were huge stars at the time, and they continued to be so, rightfully for the most part. And by that, I mean Tom Cruise. Nicole Kidman deserves all her roses, all her flowers, all her trophies. But anyway, 
Bill and Alice live in New York City with their daughter and like a young daughter. I don't know how old she is. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before, but like if I see a child, I cannot guess their age. I have no idea. I have no comprehension. They could be three years old and I guess that they're like seven. I just can't do it. I don't know. My brain cannot comprehend a child's age. So I have no idea how old this little girl is. But anyway, they're on their way to attending this Christmas party, which is thrown by one of Bill's very, very wealthy patients, like very wealthy. His name is Victor Ziegler, and he is played by Sidney Pollack. And while there, Bill runs into an old friend from medical school years before. His name is Nick Nightingale. And Nick dropped out of school and he became a musician and he was playing in the live band that was at this party. And like this party's like, it's like a big ass party. It's in a mansion, live music, ballroom dancing, like that kind of shit. It's that kind of party. Only the shit you see in movies. Like I don't even know if these parties are real, but maybe that's, I don't know. Do people even go to these parties? I feel like I'd be bored as hell. But anyway, um, Soon after this, Bill is flirting with two young women. I believe they're models, but honestly, I can't remember. And they're like clearly trying to sleep with him. And then at the same time, an older man, I think he's like Hungarian or something. He's dancing with Alex or Alice. Sorry, not Alex, Alice. And he is clearly trying to sleep with her. But the important thing is that there's a difference between Bill and Alice because Bill is like actively trying to go through with it. And Alice is not. Alice is kind of, I'm, I think Alice is kind of a troll. Like before that was like a thing. She was kind of trolling this old man. Their dialogue was a little bizarre and I didn't really know how to interpret it. And that is kind of like a theme with Kubrick. Like I don't know how to interpret some of his movies. Actually, all of his movies. You can interpret it any way you want. But like I was like, what the hell is going on here? But anyway, the two girls try to take Bill away to like somewhere more private or maybe not private. I don't know. Maybe they're going to do it right on the fucking marble floor. No idea. But... Bill is alerted that he's needed upstairs. So Bill like reluctantly goes up there and he finds Ziegler half dressed. Like (laughs) he's wearing pants and only suspenders, no shirt. And I was kind of like serve of the century. (laughs) But anyway, um, he finds Ziegler half dressed upstairs and he's with an unconscious, like fully naked woman. And her name is Mandy. And Bill is told that she has taken a bunch of speedball, which I guess is like a mixture of cocaine and heroin. And I don't know if she's overdosing or whatever. I know nothing about cocaine and heroin, okay? But Bill, like, wakes her up. She regains consciousness. I don't know. And then he's like, okay, make sure you watch over her. And remember Mandy, because she's an important figure in this film. So later, back at home, Bill and Alice are like, they're smoking weed. They're up in bed. And they're just kind of chit-chatting. And Alice kind of starts asking about the two women he was with at the party. And it kind of sounds like she, I don't know, like she's not mad about it, but she's like, were you going to fuck them? Like she literally asked that. And he's like, oh, I would never do that. What are you, what? Like he sounds like such a piece of shit. Like, you know, he was going to, or he's going to try. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, So then she sort of like, is kind of picking a fight with him, but it almost doesn't seem like a real fight, but like he's kind of taking it as a real fight. And she asks him whether or not he's ever jealous of Alice and like the attention she gets because he saw her with that old Hungarian man. And he's like, no, not at all. I'm not jealous because I, 
I know you'd never act on it or anything because you're a woman and women don't think about sex like men do. They only think about nurturing their families and like shit like that. So (laughs) Alice hears this and she just starts laughing at him, like full on humiliating laughing at him. Like she thinks he is so stupid, which he is. And she's like, you've got no idea what women think about. And she like asks him if he remembers this vacation they took to Cape Cod, which I think was like a year prior. So obviously he remembers going to Cape Cod. But then he's like, she's like, you remember that naval officer that we saw there? Like just like in the background, like at the restaurant we were at or whatever. And he's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. No recollection whatsoever. And then she's like, oh, well, I thought he was so hot that like I was prepared to leave you and our daughter to fuck him just once. Like, sorry about it. I wanted to fuck him. And I still want to fuck him. So yeah, I do think about it and I do have fantasies. And he's like so flabbergasted that his wife has her like own sexual fantasies and she's like her own sexual being and her own person and not like his little object that he can't even like comprehend it. And he's like, he's honestly like at that point on, he's in his nightmare. He's in his nightmare. And we'll continue going into that. That's important again. But um, during this thing where he's like, he's like, I can't, my, my life is over. Like, what the fuck? He gets a call from one, like that one of his patients has died. So he leaves Alice to go visit this, the family. And he's like in this dream state, like I said. He's trying to wrap his mind around what his wife just told him. He like starts to visualize the naval officer and Alice having sex in like uh, the classic Kubrick zoom shots, um, like into Tom Cruise's face while he's in the taxi. Like it's so good. It's so good. Classic Kubrick. Love it. So he gets to his patient's house, clearly rich. So like all of his patients are rich. Honestly, he's rich because his house is his a Manhattan apartment is massive it's bigger than my house and i don't live in new york city (laughs) um but he's still like i don't know if like the rich people in this movie actually consider him rich even though everyone else would consider him rich there's clearly a class divide in this movie and i'm sure there's a lot to say about like uh, i almost said communism Oh my god like class and all that shit consumerism all that bullshit that all these movies are talking about but anyway he gets to this house of his patient who's like an old man who just died and he's greeted by his daughter marion who um she tells like i don't know they're like talking or whatever and when they were talking i thought she was going to like for the first time when i watched it i thought she was going to be like oh my god i actually killed my father because he was old and um i put a pillow over his face or something that's not what she says she ends up telling him that she doesn't want to get married to her fiance which kind of threw me for a loop because i was like i don't know what it was just the dialogue in this movie is so weird or just like the way they act is so weird that i think one thing is going to happen and then it's like the complete opposite which is cool. But anyway, Marion tries to like make a move on Bill. Actually, she does. She kisses him. He stops her and he leaves. So then Bill is like sulking and wandering down the streets of New York City, probably super horny and sad, surrounded by Christmas lights. And which 
um, this movie has this very distinctive, cool look to it because um, they didn't actually use a lot of like, quote unquote, film lights. They used a lot of like, I don't know, what's the word? Not natural light, but I guess natural light, but like not sunlight, like just lights that are like around and like a lot of Christmas lights actually light this movie instead of a bunch of like spotlights and fill lights and all that shit. So where was I? Oh yeah. He's wandering around the street. He's still seeing Alice with this naval officer in this fake scenario of them sleeping together. And then he's approached by this woman named Domino, who's um, played by Vanessa Shaw. If you don't know her, she was in um, Hocus Pocus. She plays, oh my God, what is her name in that movie? Like the girlfriend. (gasps) That's going to bother me. That's going to bother me. I've seen that movie 20 goddamn times. Who hasn't seen that movie 20 goddamn times? I'm looking it up right now. I want to say Sarah, but it's not. That's Sarah Michelle Gellar. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh my God. Sarah Jessica Parker's character. That is so embarrassing. Allison. Her name is Allison. The girl plays Allison. Okay. Anyway. Domino is like clearly a sex worker and like she offers to take Bill home to her apartment and he agrees and it's literally like they're right outside her apartment. Like she was clearly waiting for someone out there. She she was like, oh yeah, it's right down, down the street or whatever. No, it's right there. They're standing right outside her apartment. Um, so he agrees. He goes to the apartment. They start to hook up at the apartment, but he's interrupted when Alice calls him. She's like, when are you coming home? And he hangs, after he hangs up with Alice, he realizes like he cannot go through with it. And he like apologizes to Domino and he pays her anyway. And they have like, I don't know, a nice conversation or whatever. Friendly. That's that. He pays her like quite a bit of money, although not to him because he's rich. But anyway. Um, he goes back to the streets sulking and he finds the jazz club that Nick, his old med school friend, is playing at. And he goes in and they're having a drink. And Nick tells Bill um, that he has another gig at 2 a.m. And he tells him that he doesn't actually know anything about it, where it's at, um, because he plays this gig blindfolded, but says one time the blindfold was loose and he saw like a crazy orgy and there's like gorgeous women everywhere and blah, 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 blah. And Bill is like super interested. He's like, where is this? I need to go. I need to be in this orgy. Please tell me where this orgy is. I need to go to this orgy. (laughs) And Nick's like, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. And then he gets a call and he gets the password and the location and he writes it down, gives it to Bill. And he's like, listen, you need a costume and a mask. Everyone wears that. And this is the password. And Bill is like, all right, it's the middle of the night, whatever. I'm going to the costume shop. So he gets to a costume shop. It is closed and he gets the owner to let him in. And while the owner is finding him a costume and a mask, um, the owner's like obviously underage daughter is like half naked with two older men, like old men, old men. And they're like doing some kinky shit. I don't know what they're doing. They're dressing up in the back of the store, whatever. So the owner like freaks out, locks the men in the back and tells him that he's calling the police. And Bill's like, okay, I'll take these. Bye. And he, t- he just leaves. He's like, mm, not my business. And he takes a taxi over to the orgy. <laughs> so then he arrives at this massive mansion. And um, first of all, I don't know where this mansion was because they were just in New York City, but they're clearly in the country. I know they filmed this in um, London, which when they were on like the streets of New York City, um Stanley Kubrick like made the sets exactly like had them measure everything out and made the streets of New York exactly how they are brought them to London because he was afraid of flying or whatever so that's cool but anyway Bill is stupid as fuck 
because he takes his taxi to this mansion as if they're not going to realize that they're in a fucking taxi and not like a limo because it's 1999 and um just leaves the taxi outside like they're not going to notice that some outsider is there like i don't know i've never attended some big secret orgy before but i'm assuming that they don't want outsiders there but you know that's just what i would think but you know like i said never been so, um, inside he sees that everyone is masked, masked, and there is like some sort of like <laughs> sex ritual going on. I don't even know what the fuck is going on. Like some satanic looking bullshit, like what you would expect a satanic ritual to look like. That's kind of what they're doing. Like all these naked women are like in a circle and this man's like holding incense, or whatever he's like chanting. I don't know. Um, but he's approached by this masked woman and, um, She's naked, of course, obviously. And she tells him that he's in danger and he needs to leave. So he's kind of like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go see some titties. So he kind of just makes his way around the whole mansion. And while he's like, watch, he's like observing and he's just watching a bunch of masked people having sex. And um, he's warned again by the woman later, but he does not listen. And later, Bill is like called out in like a long, a large room surrounded by cloaked masked people. And he's questioned and he's threatened and they unmask him or whatever. And before they finish with their threatening, he is saved by that masked woman who has been like, um, warning him and she offers herself as a sacrifice. We don't know what that means. And she's pulled away and Bill is thrown out at the orgy and told never to tell anyone what he saw. So then Bill gets home and he finds Alice sleeping, but she starts like laughing in her sleep. So when she wakes up, she tells him this dream while she's crying. Like she's breaking down crying, telling him this dream. And she tells him that she's she's having a sex dream of the naval officer. And basically this dream turns into, or this like the sex between her and the naval officer turns into a gangbang with a bunch of men where she cucks Bill and tells him, (laughs) and her and the men just like laugh at him. And she's just like, yeah, we wanted to make fun of you and to humiliate you. And they fucked me and I laughed at you. LOL. And then (laughs) the next morning, Bill goes to like Nick's hotel and he learns that he checked out at 4 a.m. And the guy working at the front desk who is like desperately trying to flirt with Bill tells him that he had a bruise on his face and he was escorted by two like to and from the hotel by two scary men and bill then go he's like oh shit this is something's going on i'm spooked i'm scared and like this is kind of when we get like some eerie shit although the orgy kind of started with the eerie shit like this movie does very well with it being mysterious and not knowing what's going on and kind of being scared because everything is so weird like if you remember i said if this movie like he's living his nightmare and like literally this movie is framed like a nightmare like a lot of things don't really make sense um which we'll kind of get into later but um this is a whole ass nightmare um so bill leaves the hotel and he goes back to the costume shop to return his costume and the mask is missing remember that the mask is missing so bill pays extra for it and then the shop's owner's underage daughter again walks out in her underwear with the two men from last night exiting after her 
And he's like, uh, what the fuck? I thought you were calling the police on him. And the shop owner's like, we struck a deal. Excuse me? You struck a deal. Uh, yeah, so he basically sold off his daughter. Like, sex slavery is happening. Hello? Anyway. Um, and like, when I mean nightmare, like, this is just kind of thrown out there. And then, then what? Nothing. That's it. It, like, it's just so many weird things are happening. And it's just like, what the fuck? So anyway, Bill is still seeing images of Alice and the naval officer while he's at work. And he like, can't take it. He's like, oh my God, whatever. So he leaves work early and he calls Marion because he wants, he's like hellbent on cheating on Alice. He wants to fuck. And he's like, it's going to be Marion. So Marion's fiance actually answers and Bill's like, oh, not doing this. He hangs up, decides he can't do it. And then he's like, mm, I'm going to go over to Domino and like Domino's house and I'm going to bring her donuts or whatever and we're going to fuck and haha, I'm going to get the last laugh, Alice. So when he gets there, she isn't there, but her roommate is and um, clearly her roommate is also a sex worker. So Bill tries to hook up with her, but she kind of stops it and she tells Bill that like earlier that morning, Domino got test results back and she just learned that she's HIV positive. And she's like, since you were with Bill or with Domino last night, you have a right to know, even though they didn't do anything. So he's safe, but Bill leaves. And then as he leaves, he's noticing that he's being followed by this strange man. And this is the moment I really, really, really fell in love with the score. It was done by um, Jocelyn pook pook i think i don't know um it's so creepy and so mysterious and it is literally perfect it's simple and effective and i think because it's simple it works i think a lot of um movies overdo it um but no this one was super simple added to its effectiveness loved it he's basically being chased by this creepy bald man in like a trench coat so Bill hides away in a coffee shop and he's reading a newspaper and he reads an article that a beauty queen named Amanda Curran overdosed in her apartment. And Bill, first of all, again, with the um, the nightmarish, like weird reality type thing, like why would this be in a newspaper? Why would anyone in New York care that someone overdosed in their apartment? Like that happens literally all the time. She had a whole ass big article written about her. So like, that's what I mean where things are just so conveniently placed or just weird or just not in our reality. And it's a nightmare. Um, I don't know if I'm conveying that well enough. If you haven't seen it, then you don't understand. Like this movie is a horrifying experience. Okay. It's horrifying. It's creepy. It's weird. It doesn't make sense. It literally feels like you're having a bad dream. But anyway, Bill sees her name, believes it's Mandy from the Christmas party. Remember when he said, remember her? She's important. Yeah, he thinks it's Mandy. So he goes to the hospital, posing as her doctor to check on her. And when he shows up, the hospital tells him that she died. So he's like, I need to go visit the body. So he goes to visit the body. And yep. It's her. So he gets a call from Ziegler to come over to his house and Bill shows up and Ziegler tells him that he saw him at the orgy because Ziegler was there. And then Bill asks him about Nick's disappearance and Mandy's death, which who 
like so he correctly okay so at this point he correctly guesses that the that the woman who sacrificed herself at the orgy was mandy um so ziegler confirms that he's like yeah that was her so now what and (laughs) um then he like tells bill that nick was sent home and the thing with mandy was all a show and that her punishment and he says this was just getting her brains fucked out and afterwards she was taken home alive and he tells her that she was a drug addict and her death was bound to happen eventually and bill said it himself the first night of the christmas party and you know like bill doesn't know whether to believe him or not and like clearly you shouldn't because um nick had bruises on his face like hello what did they do to him i'm sorry my interpretation they killed him but anyway um bill leaves like what else is there to do he leaves he's like this shit is so crazy and basically ziegler was like you need to shut the fuck up or they can do something to you so you didn't see anything so anyway also ziegler's like yeah you're a dumbass you left the fucking taxi there everyone knew who you were and you left your like name in your coat and shit like come on dumbass anyway bill goes home and he finds alice sleeping and the mask that was missing is that he wore at the orgy is sitting on his pillow next to her and he just starts break down crying and alice wakes up and he tells her everything that happened the past like day or two and the next morning uh we see that they've both been crying and obviously up all night and they get ready to take their daughter to christmas shopping and they're at the store and alice tells bill that they have to do something as soon as possible and he's like what's that and then this is the last line in the movie this is the last line in any stanley kubrick film and she just says the word fuck and the screen cuts to black so that is the whole plot line of eyes wide shut you're welcome because i'm not gonna lie it is a long movie but it is a five out of five star film okay everyone needs to go see it if you're my friend and i'm forcing you to listen to this podcast and you haven't you just haven't seen the movie watch it do yourself a favor and watch it but now let's get into the production of this movie so the film was released in 1999 but it started development all the way back in 1968 when Kubrick was looking for a follow-up to his film 2001 A Space Odyssey. And the movie is based on um, Eyes Wide Shut, not Space Odyssey. The movie's Eyes Wide Shut, sorry. Eyes Wide Shut is based on the 1923 novel Trom Novel, I think is how you pronounce it. It's European. Honestly, when I was looking things up, it said German. And then it was like, it's not German, it's Hungarian. And then it's like, it's not Hungarian, it's something else. It's Austrian or whatever. And I was like, I don't know what any of these places are. I'm a stupid American. They don't teach geography in our schools unless it has something to do with America. I'm stupid. So I don't know where it's from, but it was written by, it was, oh, sorry. It was also known as Dream Story, which, hello, this whole movie, like I said, has been a nightmare. It is framed like a dream, as dream logic. And it was written by author Schnitzler. And Kubrick bought the rights to film the book. And the next, he like spent the whole next decade considering making it like a sex comedy. And he, it was described, like 
The version that that was going to be was described as having a wild and somber streak running through it. So I don't know what that would have looked like, but he was looking for actors like Bill Murray, Woody Allen, and Steve Martin for the leads. Um, But the movie never got off the ground, obviously, not until 1994 when Kubrick hired Frederick Raphael to write the script. And I just want to say, thank God, because could you imagine Woody Allen crying in New York City at Christmas time because he just found out his wife is not an object and has her own sexual thoughts and desires. I I can, unfortunately, but I don't want to see it because his wife is also his daughter. But that's besides the point. <laughs> so the reason production was so insane is because it's a Stanley Kubrick production. And if you don't know, Kubrick has an insane reputation. Amy Nicholson says in Vanity in her Vanity Fair article, um, she's quoted saying, instead of knowing what he wanted on set, he waited for actors to seize upon it themselves. His process, repeated takes to designed to break down the idea of performance altogether. The theory was that once his actors bottomed out in exhaustion and forgot about all about the cameras, they could rebuild and discover something that neither he nor they expected. So basically he made them do repeated takes over and over again until they were exhausted. And he basically, um, tortured them (laughs) for the results that he wanted. Um, (laughs) the most like infamous example of this was back, uh, during the production of 1980s, The Shining, Uh, which I actually don't know what year that filmed because his movies are in production for quite some time, as we'll soon learn. Um, But he used that style and treatment of filming techniques and caused the nervous breakdown of Shelley Duvall. Um, But that is like a whole other story for a whole other episode that I will definitely cover at some point because I love The Shining. Like everyone else, I am a Kubrick fan i do like his movies i i do want to say i did watch clockwork orange a couple years ago and i absolutely hated it but i'm gonna give it another shot because he's got some good shit obviously he's like considered one of the greatest artists of all time but anyway as for eyes wide shut uh kubrick's behavior was absolutely no different than his reputation had said, although I did read somewhere, I'm not going to cite my source because I don't remember, so don't quote me on it, but someone said that these takes, it wasn't as bad as some other movies because Tom and Nicole were like good at their jobs or whatever. Like they, it wasn't necessary for them to do as many takes, but it like as many takes so many times, like he still did it because at one point he had Tom Cruise do 95 takes of just walking through a doorway. So I just want to put that in perspective. All he did in the shot was walk through a doorway and he had to come up with 95 different ways to walk through a fucking doorway and make it look normal and natural. So like, that's the kind of shit he would do. Like that sounds I would just fucking kill him. Like, that just sounds stupid. Um, But I can't remember his name. I have it in my notes somewhere down the line. I think it was the, um, the cinematographer, Larry something. I don't know. I think he was the one that said that, like, the Tom and Nicole didn't have to do that many takes as much as other movies did. Like, Shelley Duvall, he destroyed her um for some whatever reason 
Tom and Nicole didn't need it as much, apparently, according to Kubrick, if they needed it at all. Because, sorry, Nicole Kidman is probably, probably, um, I would say, with my whole chest, comfortably, confidently, that she's in the top five greatest actresses of all time. Without a doubt. So, like, I don't think she needed them. But, anyway, (laughs) this style of filming causes production to run long as you would expect um and like really crew or like tom cruise has like his own reputation and that includes him being like over prepared on set so it's like exactly what kubrick is against is being prepared he doesn't want you prepared he wants you to forget that the camera is there because you're so exhausted and just need water (laughs) so yeah it stretched it stretched production quite a bit and by quite a bit, I mean that it holds a Guinness World Record for the longest continuous shoot, which ended up being 400 days. <laughs> that is a ridiculous amount of filming. And you might be saying, um, excuse me, Patrick, didn't like Boyhood take like 12 years to make their movie? So that was over 400 days. Um, Yes, but you're also false because that would shoot like a little bit of on one year and then like five years later they would film a little bit more and then five years later they film a little more whatever i don't know how long that fucking movie took this filmed the like every day throughout that whole 400 days no stopping nothing so tom cruise and nicole kidman committed to a six month shoot which is already a really long shoot i think i am not that familiar with how long shoots are like i know i went to film school i know this whole thing is like the film degree but like i don't know we didn't really talk about that and i never shot a movie but like i know of plenty of movies that were shot in like 20 days obviously like those are usually smaller movies like a marvel movie is not going to take 20 days it's going to take a lot longer but it's not going to take fucking 400 days so anyway they arrived in london because they had to film it in london like i said because um kubrick is afraid of flying so and again like he brought new york to london like they made an exact replica it's pretty fucking cool especially because i learned that kubrick doesn't want to like cut corners with costs like he will get the best materials to do it whether it's like concrete or whatever like if you're going to build it it's not going to be like a paper wall it's going to be a real plaster wall but They arrive in London in the fall of 1996, and they were expected to be back home by the spring of 1997, but filming (laughs) did not wrap until January of 1998. And then, after filming wrapped, they were called back for reshoots for more months in, like, I think in May or something, and they, like, filmed for, like, 15 months or something. So all that time was working on Eyes Wide Shut, and, like, throughout the whole thing... Tom and Nicole are clearly big stars, especially at the time, especially Tom Cruise. He was like at the top of his game. And he's like, listen, I just need to know, am I going to be here longer than six months? Like I have directors and writers approaching me to do projects and I need to know if I'm able to do them or not. But apparently like both Nicole and Tom were like, they're fine with doing this long shoot. Like they wanted to work with Stanley. They wanted to he's like the greatest filmmaker of all time he's always like i don't know they wanted to work with him they were not like that pressed about um not doing other movies which i think like i read something they were like tom cruise making 20 million dollars a movie at this point so like he was that's like what what was it like 15 months or something where he's not getting 
to um, make those $20 million. Like it's a pretty big deal, but I guess like they were like, cool. Like they loved their experience working with Kubrick, which isn't the case for everybody like Shelley Duvall, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, So like not only like, you know, Kubrick, he like runs his actors into exhaustion and he like psychologically tortures them. <laughs> and like, again, no different with Eyes Wide Shut. Like he clearly casted tom cruise and nicole kidman because they were married in real life and this movie is all about marriage and he used it to psychoanalyze their real marriage and he was like getting them to confess their fears about their marriage and he like created a wedge between the two like he made nicole um the the shots of where he of his like um where he's visual when bill is visualizing alice with the naval officer so that shoot um nicole and some dude some model or something filmed like basically what was it did i read that it was like six days or something i don't remember don't quote me on that but it was like quite a bit quite a bit of shooting of nicole being completely naked and then basically making a sex tape is what it looked like i mean they didn't really have sex but um that's what it looked like even though that's not what we get in the movie like nicole in the movie the version that we see in the movie nicole is like fully dressed we don't really see her naked really but he had her film completely naked and then said that she can't tell Tom about any of it. So he was like trying to build a wedge between them. And um, like also like lines got blurred between like fact and fiction for Tom and Nicole because they like literally became their characters for like a year and a half. And they were like living on set. Their bedroom in the movie was the bedroom that they lived in. I think they said like they even like they designed the room like they chose the color of the lampshade or not lampshades the um the curtains and shit and they would leave their shit around the room just like how they would at home like their clothes on the floor their change on the thing like that was their real living space they wanted it to feel like they were actually living there and they were um so they started living as their characters and like they got everything got more and more intense. And Nicole says that Tom would hear things. It wasn't like therapy because you didn't have anyone to say, and how do you feel about that? It was honest and brutally honest at times. As an actor, you set up, there's reality and there's pretend. And those lines got crossed. So (laughs) Kubrick is also like notorious for being super meticulous and extremely detail oriented. Like All his movies have like secret meanings in there. Like, yeah, we'll get into it. But cinematographer Larry Smith, that's the name. So apparently Larry Smith was like the one who's like, Nicole and Tom were so good in this movie. They didn't need to do so many takes so many times. Like they did it sometimes, whatever. I feel like I'm not making sense, but who cares? So Larry Smith says, once the sets were built, I'd go in them and light them. I'd get the electrician in there, set up all the practical lights, and then wire them to dimmers to give us the control we needed. After everything was in place, I'd shoot various tests with different exposures. Uh, When we looked at the test footage, Stanley would say things like, I like that, I don't like that, why don't we try this, or why don't we go and shoot some more tests? A typical comment might be, I don't like the look of that lampshade, let's change the color. The process involves constant series of adjustments, which in which is one of the reasons that our schedule was so long. In many ways, it was much more expensive and time-consuming way to shoot than simply using light 
to achieve a certain color scheme, but that's the way Stanley worked on all of his movies. He was never afraid to go back to a certain set or location and change things around. He wouldn't show a single frame of a film he wasn't happy with himself. When the paying public goes to see a Stanley Kubrick film, they're going to get something that was not simply just thrown together. That's what I want to discuss next. That being that Kubrick does not show anything that is he's not happy with. Um, this is where the, the controversy that I said, like this is a controversial movie, um, where the of the film comes in. Many consider the film to be incomplete and unfinished because, unfortunately, Kubrick actually died of a heart attack at the age of 70, just like six days after screening a cut of the film for Tom Nicole and some Warner Brothers executives. And it was like alleged that Kubrick didn't actually want to show the cut that he had to Nicole and Tom, but he was like forced to so they could sign off on their like nudity clauses or releases or something. Um, he was very notorious. Honestly, I keep saying that, but Stanley Kubrick is just a notorious person <laughs> in a good and bad way, I guess. I don't know. Depends on your outlook on it, but he's very notorious for editing his movies right up until the very last minute before sending it out to distributors. Um, but since he died long before that, many believe it was an unfinished film. Kubrick's collaborator, Michael Herr, Steady Cam inventor Garrett Brown and actor Arlie Ermey, I think is how you pronounce his name. And he worked on Kubrick in uh, Full Metal Jacket. They all claim that Kubrick hated the cut and it was not finished. And that the film, he was not finished with the film before he sent it to Nicole and Tom. Um, but Nicole Kidman, Kubrick's brother-in-law and executive producer Jan Harlan, and Kubrick's daughter Katharina Kubrick all claim that the film was done and completed by Kubrick. Uh, we will never know the right answer to this, but after one thing that we do know, that after Kubrick's death, the studio like digitally blocked out some of the sex scenes during the orgy, which honestly, like the movie isn't that graphic with its sex scenes. There's a lot of um, topless women. I don't know. We don't see that much, but maybe I was seeing the cut that was blocked out. Like they added, like they digitally added figures standing in the way of what we were seeing. So like we couldn't really see sex, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I guess in the UK, they didn't edit that because America is afraid of sex. I, I have no idea. Don't ask me. I don't know. <laughs> um, but editing his movie like that without his knowledge, especially because he died, drew a lot of criticism, notably by film critic Roger Ebert, which I so badly want to do an episode on him. I so badly want to, but I don't know what to do it on yet. So if you have any fun stories on Roger Ebert, let me know because I I need to do some sort of deep dive on him. I have to. Also, maybe I'll just like read some of his like crazier reviews. I don't know. But he says they should not have done it at all and that it is symbolic of the moral hypocrisy of the rating system that it would force a great director to compromise his vision while by the same process making his adult film more accessible to adult to young viewers. <sighs> but besides these controversies, the film was controversial on its own on like how it was viewed and it received mixed reviews, which essentially like all Kubrick movies get mixed reviews or like really bad reviews like the shining was critically panned like people hated that movie and now it's like one of the greatest movies of all time 
mo- actually, I think like all of Kubrick's films are probably on some list of being the greatest films of all time, but usually they are misunderstood or just not liked for whatever reason. Um, but I think a big reason on why this was not considered a masterpiece right away, which I think this movie is his, his true masterpiece. The reason why I don't think it is considered a masterpiece right away is because Stanley Kubrick is a massive troll. Who did I just say earlier was a troll? Am I going crazy? Did I say that someone was a troll? I feel like I said that earlier in the episode. Mm, I guess I'll go back when I'm editing. (laughs) I don't know. Well, Stanley Kubrick is also a troll. And, oh my God, did I not say that? If I didn't, that's kind of embarrassing. Anyway, Stanley Kubrick is a massive troll. And he's been trolling since like the beginning of his career. And there was this blog, um, I think it was called like Boy Drinks Inc. And it was like written by a man named like Nick... Dobrinsky or something I have no idea who that man is I don't know I just skimmed what he had to say about eyes wide shut but he brought up this point that I thought was interesting and that's really like all I read from his long ass thing but he said everyone was expecting like this huge crazy erotic thriller filled with naked Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise fucking all the time and it probably got a lot of people to show up to the theater because who doesn't want to see their biggest movie stars naked like hello you know, like film Twitter was losing it for like three days when um, Oscar Isaac showed like a sliver of peen in Marriage Story or not Marriage Story, Jesus, scenes of a marriage. Like, like, don't even like, don't get me started on the annoying gays that still don't shut the fuck up about the split second shot of like Ben Affleck's dick in Gone Girl. Me included. I, I don't shut up about it. I'm one of those gays. Uh. <laughs> um i mean like who like obviously people want to see their naked movie stars whatever so <laughs> this was not the movie that i think people thought they were getting um uh, but better yet this guy nick dobrinsky or whatever um mentions that kubrick lets the audience think that this is the movie they're getting within the like the first five minutes because it shows a naked nicole kidman only to like rip it out of the viewer's hands and neither Nicole or Tom get married or naked for like the rest of the movie. (laughs) I'm sorry, but if like that was his intention or something, I don't know. I think that's funny. Like he just like changed what you were, what you thought this movie was going to be like. And like, I know people were sitting in that theater just to see Nicole Kidman naked and thinking they were going to get some like fun basic instinct style erotic thriller but instead they get this like psychological look at sex and marriage and that people are like still trying to interpret and understand but they never will they never will and that's kind of the movie they got and i don't know i think that's hilarious and (sighs) kubrick is like he's so meticulous with everything he puts in his movies and most of it goes right over our heads like we're still trying to understand this movie and like years ago, I watched this documentary on The Shining and it was, he was called like Room 237. That's the room that, um, that's the room in The Shining, right? No, I don't know. I think it's Room 237. Um, and when I watched it, basically it was all about like the conspiracy theories behind the things he put in his movies, the hidden messages. And I watched it and I thought everyone, like it was one big crock of shit basically, um, But as I get older and I'm watching his movies and I'm reading other people's interpretations of the movies and just kind of like looking at conspiracy theories in general, I don't know. I think people are onto something. Maybe he was like just some crazed genius who put clues in all of his work 
And the more I think about that, I honestly think he would have been the biggest Swifty ever. <laughs> Stanley Kubrick was a Swifty. I don't know. I don't know. I have like nothing much else to say about Eyes Wide Shut that really has not been said. I mean, literally just look up Eyes Wide Shut interpretation. There's millions and millions and millions of think pieces and interpretations. And there's so much to take from it. But on I like I think my biggest takeaway or interpretation is that men are just so insecure when it comes to sex and women. And when I originally watched this, I wrote a like kind of a joke review, not really a joke. I was being honest on Letterboxd where I, I said something along the lines that the movie is about a man being so insecure that as soon as he learns that his wife is not an object and she's her own sexual being, he immediately has to one up her. And I had some like straight man harassing me over it. Um, but it's literally true. Like he was going on other reviews from my letterbox and just commenting like all this shit, like basically flooding my comments on different movies. And I just had to block him and delete his comments. I was like, oh, whatever, you're crazy. Um, but like, like it's true. Bill is so insecure. And the whole time he can't even symbolically get it up because every time he tries to have sex, it never actually happens or he just can't do it. So I don't know. What do you think that means? I don't know. Literally, he learns his wife has fantasies and he's like, I need to go to an orgy right fucking now. Like, <laughs> He's trying to one up her. He's insecure as a man. It's just factual. I don't make the rules. Uh, like, Yeah, this movie has like a lot to say about sex. And well, I don't know if it has a lot. Well, I guess it does, but it, it has a lot of representation of sex, like different aspects of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly sides of it. Um, like the good kind of being that having sexual fantasies is a healthy thing to have. And women can have these fantasies and women can be sexual in their own right. Um, also, I want to point out that I think this movie like even promotes gay sex. There's two instances that I caught in this movie um, where it's kind of brought up in where it's kind of brought up. So the first was at the orgy. So there's like a scene when Bill's just kind of wandering around looking at people like a creep and watching people have sex. He's watching these like this group of people slow dancing, like partnered up slow dancing. Some are clothed, some are completely naked. And two of the couples are same sex couples. One is two women and the other is two men. And the other scene was between Bill and the man at the front desk at Nick's hotel, uh, which that guy, like the desk clerk is played by Alan Cumming. And the desk clerk makes a sexual innuendo regarding a threesome involving three men. And he's like heavily trying to flirt with Bill. Like he's nervous about it. And I don't know, like I like, I liked their interaction, uh, but Kubrick never paints any of this as a punchline or frames anything as a joke against lgbtq people which is something to say because it is very easy to do that even in our like this is in quotes because i hate this word i hate the word woke but in our hyper woke society 
these jokes in film and TV are still getting made. And back then it was way more than what it is now. It was constant. Like literally watch any Michael Bay movie ever. (laughs) I recently watched Bad Boys. Actually, Bad Boys 1, 2, and 3 for like the first time. And especially the second one, um, loads of homophobia in that one, folks. Crazy shit. That movie's crazy. But anyway, um, where was I? I don't know. I don't know. The movie promotes healthy sex lives and sex and like the idea that sex is normal and it's okay to do whatever you want. Um, no matter what anyone says or thinks, I mean, in reason, obviously, because we do get to the ugly side of sex because the movie does show representation of power imbalances, pedophilia with the shop owner's daughter and those men cheating and SCIs like HIV, which I also think it's worth mentioning that um, seemingly, a seemingly straight woman is the one who gets an HIV diagnosis in this movie and not a gay man. And I'm obviously not saying that women didn't get HIV and still don't get HIV. Um, But this movie is in the 90s and it was like heavily prevalent. I mean, it's still prevalent, but heavily prevalent. And um, like, it's just always used as like such a thing to be afraid of gay men. And like, even like, it wasn't until the world needed blood in a global fucking pandemic until gay men were like encouraged to give blood even though like we still can't kind of do it i think like it used to be you couldn't get blood and then it was like oh it has to be a year between having sex and now like in the pandemic i think some places changed it to three months so it's like this is so off topic but um like that whole idea is so mind-boggling to me Because it basically, like, it clearly has a bias and a fear of gay men. And, like, that bias and fear still exists. And they're still perpetrating this fear with this rule that they can't give blood, which doesn't make any sense at all. Because why the fuck is there even restrictions on gay men giving blood anyway? Because do they not test all the blood? Or do they just... um? hop over to the blood drive and then take the blood and inject it into someone without even looking at it. Like what the fuck you mean to tell me they, they aren't like if they're testing it, why the fuck can't they just like, they would, they would find out if there was, if it was infected with any sort of disease or whatever. Like, I don't know. I just can't wrap my brain around it because you can't like that is the issue they test the blood there is no reason it is just discrimination like that is still happening today so for this to be happening or for this movie to come out in the 90s and it wasn't they were never ever making fun of any same-sex relationships or killing the gay character with an hiv diagnosis which at the time probably would have killed them because you know um medicine isn't the research wasn't there as what it is today it's not a death sentence today, necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. That was such a sidetrack, but it just it boggles my mind that they have these rules still. I just cannot wrap my brain around it. I literally feel like I'm living in the nightmare world of Bill because I can't wrap my brain around this one thing. Like, he can't wrap his brain around his 
wife wanting to have sex. Anyway, <laughs> let's get back to Eyes Wide Shut. Um, there's a lot of interpretations to be had in this movie because each character kind of represents or symbolizes something different about sex. Um, you know, like Bill, his insecurity, um, Alice with her fantas fantasies or whatever. There's like Domino with like the unsafe sex. And then there's like the shop owner's daughter with all that shit and like the gay characters which the character of alan cummings character is never like explicitly said he's gay but i mean like (laughs) it's that sounds it's alan cumming okay (laughs) and he was like those aren't the type of men you want to go home with when he's talking about the two scary men like he was talking you know what i mean so yeah each character kind of has their own thing surrounding sex that it is kind of talking about so there, I don't think there's a definitive answer to what this like nightmare movie is about. And like I said, it's a literal nightmare named after a book called Dream Story. Everything after Alice, everything after Alice telling Bill she has sexual fantasies, it's a nightmare. It's his nightmare. So to me, this entire story, since the whole thing is his nightmare, is about how fragile and insecure men are, particularly about sex and women. But every other detail in the movie has something else entirely different to say about sex so the the main story i think is about my interpretation is about this insecure man or men in general and then there's like little things to kind of pick out of the movie i'm like what you think that means what that means blah 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 so yeah that's kind of my answer i can't really give i can't really give a different answer than that because i don't know i'm not intelligent enough to look through this movie and understand it there's a million think pieces and i don't know i don't think we'll ever know the true meaning it's just whatever the viewer interprets it to be and i don't think like that's not only the beauty of the movie but also the beauty of Kubrick because that's kind of all of his movies it is however you interpret his film which that's kind of film in general but he like intentionally puts things in there to make people think or to question things or things that kind of don't make sense I I don't know he's he was our original Swifty I'm telling you he's putting clues just like Miss Taylor Swift. Although I kind of thought, <laughs> I kind of thought before this last album that Taylor Swift released that like people were just making shit up about her leaving clues in there. But I guess like that's true. She really does that. Anyway, um, I kind of want to just end this portion of Eyes Wide Shut and everything on a quote from Larry Smith um, on Kubrick, on his geniusness and whatever. Um, he said when he was working on something, he focused on it completely. He couldn't think about anything else. He did a tremendous amount of research, which probably, which is probably why he didn't make as many movies as some other filmmakers. In fact, he did quite a bit of research himself. He would also get other people to gather certain bits of information for him. But if you gave him a slab of material, he'd go through it and ask a a barrage, a barrage of relevant questions. I'm sorry. I don't know what that word is. I'm stupid. Like I said, American school. Anyway, he consumed a lot of books and journals, including American cinematographer, which he read religiously. He was always waving the magazine under my nose to see if I'd read it, read this or that article. 
If there was a new tool out there, he knew all about it, even though he didn't necessarily have the hands-on experience with it. For that reason, he had no preconceptions about what a piece of equipment could do. He'd simply say, well, let's get it and try this or that with it. During all of the research and testing, Stanley would gradually get an overall picture of what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it, and where he wanted to do it. And he had a great deal of foresight. And he didn't restrict himself to a particular mode of working. He created a new style every time he did a movie. And along the way, he invariably came up with some incredible ideas. So yeah, I'm going to end that uh, the discussion on Eyes Wide Shut with that quote. Um, I think Stanley Kubrick is a genius. I need to do more work on him or new, more deep dives into him. I enjoy his work. I would like to analyze more of his work, even though I didn't do much analyzing here at all. I really didn't say anything that much, but I encourage, if you haven't seen it, I encourage everyone to watch it, make your own interpretations of the movie. And if you think the movie's about something else, let me know. You can follow me at film.degree on Instagram. I'm currently doing this fun thing. Well, I think it's fun where I post for the next 12 days. I'm making a 12 days of Christmas where I make a post about a Christmas movie every day for the next 12 days. Um, I do fun things like that on there. Also, you can DM me on there for anything. Um, any requests of things to cover. I'm still looking for other topics that are um, not just like looking at a single movie, or, but doing a topic like I did with the slasher episode. Although I think my older episodes are like my, all my episodes are like pretty fresh because I haven't done that many, but like some of the first ones aren't exactly what I want the show to be. I'm sort of finding my way um, in the creative process or whatever. I don't know. I'm starting to kind of like what I'm putting out there. I'm enjoying myself, so I'm going to keep doing it. But I do want to find some other topics. So if you have any topics, let me know on that. Um, follow that. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. I never look at Spotify. I don't know who listens to a fucking podcast on Spotify. I find that to be crazy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I honestly haven't even looked at my analytics since I posted the last episode, so I have no idea if people are even listening still um, or how many have listened in the past few weeks because I have not posted, unfortunately. But since it is now my Christmas break, basically, I want to start doing this like more like a lot while I'm in break get a lot out there watch a lot of things so I do want to do some episodes I'm not exactly sure what I want to do yet um especially for my next one because I I am without a doubt I have to do a scream series episode because the new movie's coming out I'm terrified for it I'm scared I don't know if it's going to be good I'm terrified for my my girl my bestie my soulmate Gail Weathers I'm scared for Dewey I'm scared for Sydney and that's my favorite franchise ever so I'm gonna have to um I'm gonna have to talk about the entire series and my thoughts on it um I don't know how I'm gonna frame that yet I don't know if I'm gonna go through every single movie plot wise I don't know if I, I don't know so I am going to do that I was originally going to do a Christmas episode where I did the 2006 Black Christmas in the 19 was it 70 shit was it 76 oh my god I'm such a fake fan 
I was going to compare and contrast the two like I did for Night of the Living Dead. But if I'm going to do a Scream episode, I don't want to do so many slashers in a row. But you know me, I love my slashers. So I'm not sure if I want to do a Christmas movie episode. I kind of have to. It's Christmas. So I don't know. This is kind of, this is a Christmas movie. Okay. Eyes Wide Shut is a Christmas movie. Anyone who tells you different is a fucking liar. Every shot has Christmas lights in it. There's Christmas trees everywhere. It's just sad, horny Christmas. Okay. Like that is what this movie is. So I I did do a Christmas movie, but I feel like I should do another. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Let me know if you have any um topics or movies that I should cover. You can always comment on my Instagram, DM me on my Instagram, whatever. Who cares? I don't know. I'm just so happy that I'm officially done with school this semester. It was such a hard semester. I I have the opportunity to get a 4.0, I think, this semester, which would be amazing. Since my first semester in grad school is a very hard, hard, hard semester, both in school and just in my personal life. I went through some things that really fucking suck but to get a 4.0 that'd be really cool i have an 87 something right now but he has to grade all my big my big papers and shit so hopefully that bumps up and i got a 4.0 um oh i'm so exhausted i kind of i'm supposed to kind of work next week but i think i'm just like not going to and i'm going to work on this podcast and i'm going to relax i'm going to catch up on my 2021 releases and do this podcast and have fun like that is what I want to do I need to relax it's been too fucking hard and I'm currently making a so I don't know when I'm going to actually do this episode I want to do like we're going to do a film degree awards we're going to hand out some film degrees that's what we're calling our awards here and because I hate the Oscars the Golden Globes are a sham um so we're gonna we're gonna do our own and I don't know if I want to make it interactive I don't know if I have <laughs> I don't know if I have that many listeners to actually make it interactive like it'd only be a couple people but um also I don't know you guys aren't that interactive I'm just saying you don't really follow my Instagram although maybe you do because I don't know some of the people who follow me so I don't know if I want to make it interactive but I am going to release I want to go over like the nominees and that I'm nominating I'm just fully nominating my own people so I'm going through the 2021 releases the ones that I missed and also like the ones that are being released right now like for award season I gotta get through them make my nominations I'm gonna do an episode on my nominations why I love them just kind of praising 2021's movies this year although I have such a terrible memory so I will I've been working on it since I ever since I watched so like my best actress right list right now is like seven people I'm gonna narrow it down to five because as I watch I'll put them on the list I think like "Hmm, they're kind of maybe maybe they'll be up for nomination I don't know so I do want to do that I don't know if I'm going to do that in January or February I think don't like the Oscar nominations come out in February I don't know it'll probably be a while till I get to see all of the releases because they release in small theaters or like in LA or New York like I can't see licorice pizza right now because I live in fucking Michigan. <laughs> so it'll be a while before I do that. But I definitely want to do that. I'm going to maybe do a winner's episode. I don't know. Well, obviously I'll do one. Maybe I'll do something on the Instagram. I'm not sure. Like I've kind of done this before. Like I make a slideshow and I kind of like 
theme the slideshow and stuff but I don't know what I'll do this year yeah and then I'll do like the Oscar I'll do I'll cover award season I'll talk about it what I what I think about it so that's what you should look forward to maybe another Christmas episode definitely a scream episode maybe multiple scream episodes I don't know there will definitely definitely be a scream episode when the new scream comes out January 14th I'm I'm literally like about to shit myself I'm so afraid for my my besties there I'm a fucking scared please don't kill them. I really feel like they're going to kill them. I don't want to put that out there. I don't want to manifest anything, but like, I don't know how they can get away with doing five movies and not killing one of the main three. And I don't know. I thought it was going to be Dewey. Like I really thought it was going to be Dewey, but now I'm thinking it's going to be Gail and I'm, oh my God, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't even think about it. Can't even think about it. I would be devastated. I'm going to cry in this theater. Let me just tell you, I'm going to cry. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's all I have to say. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please write a review. Oh my God, I sound so pathetic, but I'm literally begging at this point. I'm begging. She's begging everyone. Please write something kind. Um, if you want to write hate, just DM it to me. I'll read it, but like, please don't post it. <laughs> I don't need any people just I don't need any people like being told not to listen to me. I'm trying to build a brand, people. I'm trying to build a brand. So write your review. Thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from me much sooner than previously because I am on break. So I hope everyone enjoys their break and I hope you continue listening. Um, thank you so much.